Again, we are on week three of Witnesses, and it's our prayer as we continue in this series that uh, not only that you'd be empowered to go and share the good news of Jesus, but, but as, a, as a foundation of that, our prayer is that you would experience the Lord, that you would understand um, who He is and what He's done for you in your life, because we believe that that is the foundation of being witnesses. Mm. And the action in the book of Acts, as we continue to look at it, the action of the apostles, the, the growing church, sharing the gospel message, all of it is birthed from their time with Jesus. This experience they had with Jesus, they were saturated with him, and it sends them out to bear this message. And I think as we talk about being a witness, um, it, it's to be a witness is not just to, to speak about something that we have read about in books, but to, to be really a witness, it, it, you have to have this experience with God yeah. that, that really transforms your life in a way that sends you out. Uh, I, I, again, reading A.W. Tozer this week in light of our, our bumper video, and he, he says this, he said, is not mere words that nourishes, nourish the soul, but it's God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. We can't just read about God and say, we're witnesses of this. We need to have this personal experience with him. And that's what really causes us to send us out. And I think as we're talking about bearing a witness, um, I think one of the things that sometimes holds us back from being authentic in our ability to, to witness to other people is this, this issue of comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I think comparison sure. is something that, that can plague our spiritual life in a way that we look at those around us. Uh, maybe we, we look at, at a, a famous uh, uh, evangelist or a preacher, or we look at somebody who we've known in our life and we say, well, look at how God works through their life. Yeah. I'll never experience that in my own life. And it begins to discourage us from investing and in, in interacting with with God at that personal level. Um, this past week, we uh, went outside, me and my son Abraham, we were uh, playing baseball. He Last year was his first year in baseball, so I'm trying to keep him in it. And so we were out in the fields, and, and then we, we ran into some of the friends uh, on his current team. And uh, as, as we went over and said hi, uh, we were watching his friends practice. And within just two minutes of watching these kids practice, they, they're good. They're good at baseball. And so they were diving, they were catching the ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Abraham came over to me, and he just had this distress look on his face. And he said, I want to go home. And I said, what, why, why do you want to go home? And, uh, he, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. I was like, you got to tell me, you got to tell me what's going on. And he just, you know, a a little six-year-old, I'm not good at baseball. Mm -hmm. Look at those kids over there. Why am I even out here? I don't want to do this. And uh, it was one of those, those parenting moments where I was encouraging him, Hey, we can do this together. We can practice. Mm -hmm. But as he said this, it it sunk so much into my life as I thought just how many times comparison leads us to this, this feeling of being distraught of, Mm -hmm. of really feeling inadequate in what we are called to do. And so we, we tend to give up. And I think as we're in this season of waiting right now, uh, as the waiting goes on and on, as, as we feel like stay at home, this quarantine time. I think periods of waiting can often cause us to feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. And so as we're waiting, we, we think, oh, I'm not ready yet. I just need this. I, I need to be better at this. And then maybe, maybe I'll finally be able to yeah. do it. But what we see in the book of Acts is that waiting isn't this time where we are, are called to feel inadequate through comparison, but waiting is this time of watching, mm-hmm. watching where God is showing up, watching how God is leading us. 
watching and seeing God and then acting where he is showing up. And that's what Acts begins to reveal to us. And so the question as we look at our passage today is is really, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on God for in this season to be ready to to go out and to bear witness? And I think in in that waiting uh, we also realize the the big theme here that we've been talking about and seeing is that this is not by their own power. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a comparison game of um, of what can I do, but Luke, as he writes this and, and the story of the apostles in the early church, you clearly see what's happening mm-hmm. is God is accomplishing something mm-hmm. and they're waiting and watching and they're, they're, they get to be witnesses of what God is doing. Uh, being witnesses is kind of this, in some sense, um, uh, getting to be spectators, frontline spectators of what God is doing. And that, for me, comparison-wise, takes the pressure off because what God wants to accomplish, he will accomplish. Yeah. And if it's dependent on us, which we clearly see even in these heroes of the faith, it's not dependent on them. Mm. And their key characteristic, as we talked about last week, is that they're ordinary, mm. but they'd been with Jesus. So right now where we are in, in, in the text is the 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 church is expanding and already you see some power dynamics at play. You see this couple in, in um, chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, who are trying to basically, as people are presenting gifts to the church, selling their possessions to provide for this growing uh, movement. Um, they're trying to manipulate leadership. They're, they're, they're coming and they're lying and they're saying, hey, yeah, we're, give, we're giving you this money, but really they're withhold. They're, they're lying to, to God and God judges them. But at the same time, we see uh, the apostles um, healing many, showing God's mercy to many, and people are being attracted um, to these things that are happening. And these things that are really happening um, outside the, the religious, political Sanhedrin, uh, chief priests of the time, outside of the temple, um, and so they take notice. The leadership takes notice and says, hey, this is our stuff. We're supposed to be the ones collecting offerings. We're the ones supposed to be ministering to the people. But they don't, they're, they're, they're jealous, not because of care, like, oh man, we really need to step up and, and do something to show mercy. They're jealous because the power structure that they've built is getting eroded by the this new movement, mm. and and that's the comparison that we see in this in the rest of our passage mm-hmm. in, in Acts five today is this 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 power struggle, this comparison of of the Sanhedrin, the the, the principalities, the powers of the temple, looking at this growing church, this growing movement, and in jealousy, not knowing how to interact with it, not yeah. knowing what to do with it, and so our, our passage, as Josh just said, begins uh, uh, really in Acts uh, five right preceding verses 17 and 18, we see the church is growing, people are being healed, God is moving outside of the temple, not inside of the temple. And in verses 17 through 18, we see the jealousy of the the leaders of the Sanhedrin. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. And we see at the beginning of this passage that the leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees were jealous of what was going on in the church, that God in this moment is, is really beginning to move outside of the temple. His presence is no longer confined to this, to this mm-hmm. building, but through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, his presence is being available outside of the temple. And so as people are being healed, we see God's presence moving and working outside of the temple and the temple authorities, they don't like it. 
They are jealous. And so to demonstrate their authority over this group, over this movement of followers of Christ, they publicly imprison them to, mm-hmm. to demonstrate to people, look, if you think this is God working, no, God works through us. And yep. we're going to demonstrate that by imprisoning these people and showing this. Uh, but what we see as the passage continues is when we live in comparison, we try to take control of situations, mm-hmm. but what God does is supersedes it and works really underneath all of that in a, in a more powerful way than when, when we try to control a situation. Mm-hmm. And in verse 20, we see that we're locked in prison. It says an angel appears before them, opens the prison doors and says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Mm. And I think this is such a powerful part of this passage uh, because we see in this moment that this is a recommissioning of yeah. the apostles in this moment. It's, it's really God in this moment, again, saying, you are doing what I've called you to do and I'm calling you to do it again. Go and speak to all people. We see this is, in a sense, this, this call that is echoing back from Jesus' great commission to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Mm-hmm. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Acts 1.8, again, Jesus to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, The beginning of our passages is this reminder of the call of the church. Uh, We are to experience the presence of God in our life and to go and teach others about it, to live as witnesses by demonstrating and telling the stories of what God has done and what God will continue to do. So in this moment, the prison door is open. This angel says, go and go and teach, go and speak. And in verse 21, we see this call to action is answered. Mm -hmm. And they heard this and they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Mm. They heard the call of God on their life and they obeyed. And we, we see that it is a seamless transition. Go and speak. They heard it. They went and they taught. They went and they spoke. There's this attitude of obedience in the early church that characterizes where their authority comes from. It doesn't come from them manufacturing themselves. It comes from this obedience to God that they live out. And I was thinking again about that Tozer quote at the beginning that uh, sometimes what we do is we we take our spirituality and we, we, in a sense, minimize it to this Mm -hmm. head knowledge that we carry with us. And when we minimize something to a head knowledge, we're not really interacting with that. We're, We're we're living in the certainty of something we read, but we need to really act it out in mm-hmm. order to to really be a witness and really in order to encounter it. Yep. Um, the, during this time, we've been uh, trying to, to teach uh, our, our boys to, to ride bikes. Our, our middle child already knows how to, and so we've been trying to teach Abe uh, to ride a bike. And so we put training wheels on it, and we said, we know we've talked to you about this, mm-hmm. but you can't just learn how to do this by by reading about it or by watching other people do it. You have to get involved in it. You have to do it yourself. And we put these training wheels on, we go down the sidewalk and somehow he fell off the bike with training training wheels. And I was like, we have a long learning curve ahead of us with this, but it was this beginning action. Mm -hmm. They did it. And I, I see this characterized in the early church. They hear the call of God. They don't say that's a good thought. They do it. They yep. respond, they, they continue to interact with God by doing his call in their life. Yeah. And I love here that it, it's clear they are not being sucked into the, the authority battle here. Mm. The, the Sadducees and, and the chief priests, they see it as, okay, 
it's now us as leaders or them as leaders. They're encroaching on our leadership. And, and for the, the apostles, they're not saying, okay, our camp needs to win. They're just, they're not caught up in the power play. They're saying, we're just being obedient to God. Um, it, it, it's interesting. I think this speaks to our heart and our human nature. They get that, like you're saying, that call again to go and teach. I think it's so easy sometimes for us to say, okay, God, I, I agree. I heard you. This is how I'm supposed to live my life. And then circumstances change. And we assume that the way that God wants us to live our lives, the way we're supposed to do what we're, what we're supposed to do and, and be witnesses, whatever it may be, um, if the circumstances change, then our then surely our life needs to change. Mm. And here we see if they have any excuse to not yeah. go and teach, not go and preach, um, it would be, I'm in prison. Yeah. But instead, God's, God gives them the same command and says, I don't care if your circumstances have changed. Um, and the prison becomes really their platform. The fact that they were able to walk out of that prison and preach miraculously, sometimes I think God wants to uh, use our obstacles to be our, our, our mm. platform for the good news of Jesus. Mm, and this call to go and speak, again, it's re-emphasizing this message that they are to speak. Yeah. I love, again, verse 20, it says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Yeah. And we see that in this growth of the early church, they don't even really know how to describe their message yet. You know, the angel calls and he says, go speak to words of this life. This this hearkening back to this message they're carrying, it, yeah. it brims with life for yeah. people. It's a message to wake up to this life that is available yeah. to them. Like uh, you're saying, life, not not knowledge, not yes. just knowledge. It's, a, it's a living out. Yes, experience it. I love how a uh, scholar N.T. Wright puts it. He says, uh, it was a way of life in the sense that life itself had come to life in quite a new way. A force of life had broken through normal, normally absolute barrier of death and had burst into the present world of decay and corruption as a new principle, a new possibility, a new power. And it was this life, of course, which was carrying the apostles along with it, like a strong wind driving sailing boats out across a wild sea. And it's that image of this life which propels us. When we carry this message that we have experienced it, yeah. we're experiencing this new life, it pushes us along, not by our own power, not not by our own authority, by this power that comes from the risen Christ, and it carries us along. We have a message to tell people. Yeah, you know what this this idea of life springing forth. We're in spring, and it's this this time where it feels like even though everything looks dead, it just you cannot keep your grass from growing. It, it just yeah. pushing forth, and so we see here um, in this role of being witnesses, um, the the testimony that that we see of their work is even clear to their enemies. Verse 28 talks about, they say, we told you not to teach in his name. And then verse 29, they say, you filled this whole city with this teaching. So they're speaking, first of all, and I love, I love the way that this is phrased because it's clear they don't even want to say Jesus' name. There's power in Jesus' name and something powerful is happening as they're proclaiming his name. And, uh, and I, that should be a note, note to us, by the way, there is power in the name mm -hmm. of Jesus. And then they, they just speak this testimony. You've, you've somehow, even after we, we've started to persecute you, started to tamp down on, on this movement, started to, to go after the followers of Jesus, you filled this whole city with a teaching. And so there, there's this testimony uh, given. But again, here, the emphasis for us is not on a power struggle. The emphasis for us that we see here is, is on obedience. 
This is happening not because the apostles are, are playing a political game that's beating the Sanhedrin or, or they're a warring faction. They are just simply obeying God. And I think, uh, like you're saying with comparison earlier, in, in our role of, of being witnesses, it can, it can be very easy to say, look at this person, look at these people, or I'm reading about Peter and John. Of course, I'm not Peter and John. Mm. I wish it was this easy for me to obey as it is for them. But, you know, I know my challenges aren't great. Yeah, I, you know what? I, honestly, I, I'm afraid of what my coworkers and neighbors will think if I just boldly proclaim the good news of mm. Jesus Christ and, and share my testimony uh, wherever I go. And I know that's not a, as big a deal as being imprisoned, okay? I know there's believers. So you play this comparison game, and then you, you start feeling like, man— if only obedience was easier for me like it was for Peter and John. Mm. But what I see over and over in scripture is that um, the path of obedience, people don't take that path of obedience because it's easy. It's never easy for any of us. And I think sometimes we're, we're tempted to, to, to pray, God, clear the path and then I'll follow you. God, if, if there isn't any opposition, that's how I know that there's an mm. open door. God, if, if, if you open, you know, I'll pray, God, open the door for a conversation. But sometimes God opening the door for a conversation isn't like somebody standing across from me and saying, tell me everything about Jesus and how I can be saved. Sometimes it's not that simple. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it, it's hard. Those open doors are hard. And so uh, God allows roadblocks in our life in order for those to be a platform for the gospel. And I see this all through scripture. It would, it would be simpler to say, God, just clear the way, make my life easy. And we see this theme all through scripture. David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's saying, I'm walking through it, but why does he fear no evil? Because God, you are with me. Mm. Uh, we see this in, in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they are walking in obedience and it's threatening their life. They're getting ready because they wouldn't bow down to this false idol to be thrown into a fiery furnace. They say, even God, if you don't deliver us, we're still going to obey you. And God doesn't save them from the fiery furnace, but, but they go into the, into the furnace, but are not burned. Mm. He saves them through. So sometimes these trials, um, imprisonment, like we see here, God allows these roadblocks because they actually give him greater glory and propel the message forward. And we see, honestly, fast forward, you see that they're saved here, but ultimately we know that Peter um, will lose his life, yeah. you know? And so um, it, is, it is what, this walk of obedience is not always easy. And I think we have to, to realize that it's not easy for anyone and that we have consequences sometimes from choosing this life. Jesus um, tells his disciples, uh, you have to count the cost of following me. And so my encouragement um, is not to say that go ahead and obey Jesus and, and, and all the obstacles will be gone. I'm saying, but God is bigger than the obstacles and God will even use those obstacles and challenges. And I know that sounds easy for me to say, but there is, even, even as I speak that, that understanding and, um, and the weight of what I'm saying, as I say that, mm. that those obstacles are a big deal. But Jesus looks at his disciples in John, in the gospel of John, and he tells them this truth. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but behold, I have overcome this world. And so on your road to obedience, expect 
there to be hardship. And the trouble with the voice of comparison is that it makes us look at resistance and saying, well, this can't be the right path. You know, yeah. like it causes us to say that person has it easy. That person has it easy. And it, and it, when we compare our, our life of faith with other people's life, we, we tend to miss where God is showing up because we're not looking at our situation saying, God, where are you showing up in this moment? Instead, yeah. we're looking all around and saying, well, I wish God would show up like that. I wish God would show up in my life in this way. But the, the, the thing we see in this book of Acts over and over again is that the early church, the apostles, aren't living in comparison. Yeah. They're living in authentic faith because they're saying, we've experienced this. We don't need to compare this situation to this situation. We're saying this is the truth. And we're, we know that even as we go through these hardships, God is opening the door. And I, I think this passage is somewhat humorous as we read it because we see the, they start off in prison. Then they, they get mad, miraculously released. Yeah. They're, they're teaching out back outside of the temple again. The, the, the temple authorities are saying, where are these guys? They're, they're supposed to be in front of us. Why are they not in prison? Yeah. And then they're brought in front of them and they said, we taught you not to teach and you're teaching. And Peter has this confidence that is banked in his faith in, mm-hmm. in God that he just turns to them and he says, listen, we're witnesses of this through the Holy Spirit. And, and he speaks this in verse 31. He says, God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior. And he did so to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The Sanhedrin is playing comparison. Look, we are the controllers of this authority. Mm-hmm. We are the, the, the people who, who control the power of God. And Peter looks at them and he says, no, you're not. And on top of that, Jesus is here to give you forgiveness. He is here to, to, to call you to this repentance, to the forgiveness of your sins. And I think the message of repentance and the call into forgiveness, it comes to all people where they are at in that moment. And it's a call to open your eyes and say, the things that I'm trying to hold on to control and often are the things that are causing me to be blinded to how God is showing up. Yeah. And these temple authorities are in this moment where, where Peter's offering them, open your eyes to this new truth, come and see where God's presence is, turn from your ways, find this forgiveness of their sins. But as the passage continues, we see that they still don't open their eyes. They yeah. don't see it. Yeah, the, the question that they're, that they're asking themselves is what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our power structure? When, when Peter says, God has exalted Jesus as leader and then offers them forgiveness, like you're saying, they feel insulted. Mm. But there's one, there's one that stands out and we see it starting at verse 34 of Acts chapter five um, that doesn't have that heart because that forgiveness, these are not just enemies to be discarded. These are people that, that Peter and John are tasked to reach as well. There's one who is, is not just asking himself, uh, what does this mean for me? But he's asking himself, what, God, what are you doing? Uh, and that's Gamaliel. In um, verse 34, it says, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin in order that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band in the revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for their, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Mm. And so he's asking himself, God, 
are you possibly doing something here? And he's saying, consider that God might be doing something here. And Luke puts this right here because it is a foreshadowing. It is a blaring siren to us that this movement is different. He, he says, these leaders rose up and they had hundreds, but we have already seen that thousands have responded to yeah. Jesus. And he said, these leaders died and their movement stopped. But Already we see that Jesus has died, but he rose again and his movement is exploding. Hmm. And even as the apostles will die, the movement continues hmm. and expands. And so in Gamaliel's words here, um, what we see is a foreshadowing of what God is doing, that despite the hardships, despite the opposition, this movement and this good news is going to move forward. Um, but at the end of all of this, we see this, um, this, this, uh, this conclude with them agreeing with Gamaliel, okay, we should just let it go. But because their pride was still so high, they mm. decide to whip, publicly whip the, the, the apostles, Peter and John, and send them out as a sign of, hey, by the way, people, we're still, we're still the authority here. We just whip these people in front of you. But we see something amazing happen. They're not distraught by this whipping. Um, they're, they're rejoicing. Yeah. The, the end of this passage is this, this monumental moment that, that we see where the power of the early church is found. The, the temple authorities, they're playing that comparison, that power game, demonstrating we have authority over these, these, these men. And in verses 41 through 42, it says, then the, the apostles left the presence of the consul, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And we, we see this moment where uh, the disciples who, who, had, who had lived with Jesus, they saw him suffer. They saw him come back in life. And they, that's what they're rejoicing in. Life overcomes that. And so because they were suffering dishonor for the name, uh, this repetition in this passage and the one before it, the name of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, as they suffered for dishonor for the name, they found mm. this rejoicing. This is what we were called to do. And I, I think if our, our faith is founded on this, this comparison, comparing our faith to other people's, you know, feeling inadequate, then we won't want to suffer dishonor for the name because yeah. we'll, we'll think that it means that we're, we're doing things wrong. And, and resistance, as you said, can make us feel like, oh, that's not the, the road God wants us to go mm. down. But a, it's, a, it's often that it's that road of resistance, that road of hardship where we find this, we find God showing up in, in such a nurturing way that as we are experiencing some sort of suffering, as we experience dishonor for his name, we, we see God glorifying his name through that experience and yeah. showing up in a way that we can't even fathom. And so our faith in Christ is not promised in a road of ease. It's, it's really pronounced to be found on a road of suffering, but it's in the road of suffering that we find this foundation of belief that carries mm. us through. I love uh, this morning, I was reading Philippians 1, and I think this is Paul's mindset as he writes it. And he says in verse 29, he says, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. Mm -hmm. And this uh, ending of Acts 5 carries us 
into the reality of what the early church is about to experience, persecution and suffering that is going to mark them. Right after Acts 5, we're going to Acts 6. We see uh, these leaders being instituted. One uh, deacon is is known as Stephen. Stephen proclaims the the truth Mm. of the gospel of Christ in the long history of Israel. And as he does so, uh, he falls. um, He's the first martyr. He he is persecuted. Uh, He is is put to death because of the message he, he carries. And I think that that antidote to comparison in our life is obedience to Christ. Because mm-hmm. when we're obedient to the call of Christ, when we live out our role as witnesses, it leads us not to say, look at this, look at this, but it leads us to say, we believe that God is working through us. He's establishing his kingdom. He's showing up in this moment. And in this moment we're in right now, I think it's easy for us to say, you know, this could be a waste of time. Let's just get through this together. Yeah. But I think that this is a great time for God to say, hey, examine your life. Where am I showing up in this moment? And how am I preparing you to say, this is the road I have planned for you? And so uh, today we, we say to you, we proclaim to you uh, the good news of Jesus. And it's, and it's for this reason, God has exalted Jesus, like Peter says, has raised him up and has made him Lord and savior uh, to give us repentance and forgiveness of sin. And so today, mm. if you're hearing this message and you are carrying inside you uh, that guilt and shame of comparison and the reality and understanding this world that we have been marked by our own actions and our own sin, but also by marked by the actions and choices of others and the sin of others, today there is freedom in the name of Jesus. Mm. There's power and healing in his name for you. And you get to become a child of the living God because of the way opened up by Jesus, that no ruler, no authority, no institution, no culture, no politics can change or take away in this world. And so today, um, my, my hope for you, my challenge for you is that you would step into that identity that Jesus has given you. And uh, we would love to pray with you. Uh, We'd love for you to reach out uh, in in the messages so that we can connect with you and walk you through uh, this new life. Uh, But for you who are listening, who are believers, uh, we want to put this idea of obedience in your heart today. That God, even now, even in these circumstances, that we, f- we would think, you know what, all of this is just on hold. He's saying, no, the commission I have given you to go and make disciples, to be a witness, to experience what I'm doing in your life for the sake of others as well, is alive and well. And even in this obstacle, even in these challenging circumstances, I can use this as a platform. And so would you consider today what steps of obedience God is calling you to take and what he could be doing in this time for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of uh, your family and for those that you love around you? As we prepare for worship, uh, I just want to lead us uh, in prayer as we prepare to, to respond, uh, as, as you're saying, um, to, to bear witness no matter what the situation we're in. Uh, as, as we close our eyes, I, I just want us, as we prepare our hearts for worship, just to think through the, the obstacles in our life, uh, maybe the issues of comparison that we're, we're carrying with us. And uh, today, as I pray, as, as Josh shared at the beginning, uh, we want to pray in this aspect of Psalm 23, yeah. uh, that the Lord is our shepherd. And it's as, as David prays this prayer, he says, 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Mm -hmm. Lord, as we come before you on this Sunday morning, as we grow anxious and weary in waiting, as we grow frustrated and confused in moments of, of uncertainty and having no clarity in, in exactly where we're going from this moment, it is easy for us to grow in despair. And Lord, we confess that we, as we go through the valleys of the shadow of death, we feel like not going forward. We feel like just giving up and resting and saying, this must be the end. But Lord, I pray that you would show up in our lives, that, you, that those watching here today, that they would have this obedience uh, to your call to go yeah. and make disciples and that they would trust that you are with them, mm. that your presence is with them and you are carrying them through the hardships and the valleys because you are leading them to, to continue this role in our life, to bear witness to the good news. We have found life and this life has forever changed us mm -hmm. and leads us into talking about that life day after day. Lord, lead us through this season, open our eyes to where you're showing up and never cease our tongues from speaking about the life, the risen Christ. Life has triumphed over death and we rest in that authority, your power working through us. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Join us in worship in this moment.